Good morning, church. Good to see you all here this morning. Let's uh, open our Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to me. I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. But I, there's Jeremiah, I protested, oh no, Lord God, look, I don't know how to speak since I'm only a youth. Then the Lord said to me, do not say I am only a youth, for you will go to everyone I send you to and speak whatever I tell you. Do not be afraid of anyone, for I will be with you to rescue you. This is the Lord's declaration. It's, it's a text about calling. We're, we're eavesdropping on God's call on the life of Jeremiah. You know, God doesn't just want us to know what to do. He wants us to know what you were made for. And there's a difference. There's a difference between just receiving a task list from God and knowing your identity, what he stamped on you before you were born, how he intended to use you all your days for his glory, right? One of my favorite writers on the topic of calling is a man by the name of Os Guinness. He's had a fascinating life. His parents were medical missionaries in China. His grandparents were medical missionaries in China. Actually, they served the royal family in the Forbidden City in the early 1900s. And, and Os Guinness himself, he was born in 1941, so 79 years old. He was born into the reign of terror under Mao, so he saw a lot of horrible things. Famine struck. Two of his own uh, siblings died in the famine along with five million other people in a three-month span of, of time. So just amazing things that he saw up close and personal. And one of the things that he writes about calling are these words. He says this, modern life assaults us with an infinite range of things we could do, things we would love to do, but we are not God. We are finite we have only so many years, so much energy, so many gray cells, and so many banknotes in our wallets. Followers of Christ know we have been bought with a price. We have no rights, only responsibilities. Can I read those words again? We have no rights, only responsibilities. Following Christ is not our initiative, merely our response in obedience. Nothing works better to debunk the pretensions of choice than a conviction of calling. Once we have been called, we literally have no choice. The point isn't to say that Jeremiah didn't have a choice of whether or not he was going to obey God's call. The point is God didn't come up to Jeremiah and say, let's negotiate, let's haggle about what the price is, let's haggle about what you're going to do in your life. God comes, the word of God comes to Jeremiah in chapter 1, and it doesn't come asking questions. It comes stating it comes with a summons. It's not saying, Jeremiah, pray tell, what are you interested in? What would you like to do uh, for me? God comes and he says, I have set it in motion. When you were in your mother's womb, I decided you're going to speak for me. It's, it's been written before you were born, before you had a name that your parents knew, I decided I'm going to use you to speak for me. You're going to be a prophet, that's your calling, right? Everybody, 
everybody, we wrestle with these kind of things, right? You, you talk about wanting to be a part of something bigger than yourself, right? And Jeremiah chapter one gives us a glimpse of the call of God into something that is bigger for than ourselves, how God takes a life and uses it for his glory. That's what we're gonna see here in, in Jeremiah one. So if you wanna know what to do, you got a whole Bible full of commands that fills out the, the particular direction God gives for our steps. But if you wanna know what you were made for, you need Jeremiah chapter one. You need the passage that we're looking at here this morning. So we're gonna look at it in three steps. Number one, the call. The call. So before we come to our particular emphasis this morning, let's just think biblically about the, the general way that the word calling is used in the Bible. So point number one, God calls us to salvation. That's some of the language that's used about calling is the calling of God to salvation. I'm not gonna unpack all over again what we looked at in Romans chapter eight a few weeks ago, but you remember that language from Romans chapter eight. All things work together for the good of those who love God and are what? Called according to his purpose. That's the call of salvation that calls us into the purpose of God. The apostle Peter echoes this very same idea when he says that God, your story if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's the call of salvation, right? So you heard the gospel message and the Holy Spirit hit the lights. And when the Holy Spirit hit the lights, you saw how glorious Jesus is and how dumb the thing was that you were holding on to five minutes ago and that he's the one worth serving with all of your life. And so you decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. Right, that's, that's what happened. That's what happened when the Holy Spirit turned the lights on. You got a new heart. God called you to salvation. So there's the call of salvation. And second, there's the call to service. God calls us into service. It's not like, Christian believer, it's not like your story ended the moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus. In a way, your story's just beginning the moment you've put your faith and trust in Jesus. If your story was ending, God would just sweep you off to heaven the moment you believed in Jesus because, hey, that's what I wanted you to do. You did the thing, so now you come be with me. No, he leaves us here because his call is just getting started. It starts with the call of salvation and it moves inevitably to the call to service. One of the interesting things is when you look at this, not only this passage, but the pattern of God in his word is God seems to choose... <laughs> Um, the least obvious people sometimes to do the kind of work that he calls us to do, right? So Jeremiah, he says, you're gonna be a prophet. And Jeremiah says what? I don't know how to speak. I'm only a youth. And in fairness to Jeremiah, this is not just some lame excuse. That was true. Like in that culture, especially in that culture, um, they honored elders, an elder wasn't just an office or a title. It meant you're older. It meant, all right, now you've earned the right to speak because you've lived long enough, right? So they would, they would set weight on your words when you had lived long enough. And Jeremiah is saying, I'm 18 years old. A lot of scholars believe that he was probably born between 645 and 650 BC. And he was called in the 13th year of Josiah, which means that he was called in 627 BC, which means he's somewhere between 18 and 22 years old. So he says, I'm too young. Priests can't be a priest till they're 30. My dad was a priest. Why are you calling me to be a prophet to talk to five kings? I'm 18 years old. My frontal lobe isn't even totally working yet. Right, I'm too young for this. 
There's a pattern in the Bible. Why does God keep using people who have some weakness in an area that's really important in light of the task that God is calling them to? So for example, it's like, you know, God says, I'm gonna begin a faithful family of people through whom I'm gonna bless the entire world. Let's start with this guy right here, over here worshiping idols with his dad and his grandpa. That's what Abraham is doing the first time we meet him in the Bible. He and his dad and his grandpa are serving other gods beyond the river is the language that's used. God interrupts a pagan worship service and says, you, you're gonna be the father of the faithful. (laughs) Doesn't make any sense, right? It's counterintuitive. It's not like Abraham is this sanctification starter kit that God just looks and says, well, obviously he's the one. I've got, he's already got the, 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 the ball is already bouncing in the right direction. We hear Moses in the book of Exodus, and Moses is 80 years old, and we hear the words come out of his mouth, and he says, I am slow of speech. And God says, perfect, I'll use you to talk to Pharaoh. I'll use you to talk to the king of the world. One author and commentator on Jeremiah said, it's like God seems to sabotage his own program by the way he carries it out. He's choosing all the wrong people, right? Even David, King David's own dad, didn't even strut him out and say, all right, here are the boys. Which one of them is a king? He doesn't, he himself, the father, assumes it can't be David. He makes cheese for us. Like he's great with the goats. He's great with the herds. He's not, he's not leadership material. He doesn't have that gene. He just leaves David out. Samuel says, no, it's none of these guys. It's another one. It's somebody else. It's counterintuitive. Even the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, he writes these words to the church at Corinth. Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective. How would you like to be in that congregation? (laughs) It's like, oh, now I'm finding out what you think about us. Not many of us were wise from a human perspective, right? You're not the scholars. You're not the Athenians. Not many powerful. Not many of noble birth. Instead, what has God chosen? He's chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. There's only one kind of person that God seems to like to use in the world, and you know what it is? The humble. (laughs) He uses the humble, not the wise, the powerful, the rich, and the scholarly. He uses the humble. Calling gets off track when I'm too big or when God is too small. And it gets off track in both directions. I think it gets off track when, when Peter was too big, for example, right? Remember, Jesus calls his disciples to follow him. One of them is named Simon. And he says, you come follow me. I'm actually gonna name you something else. I'm gonna name you Petros, which means rock. I'm calling you Peter from now on. And it's almost as though it went straight to Peter's head, right? And instantly, it's like he walks with a background track, the old Ford song, like a rock. You know, he like walks into the room, this background track, this swagger that it's given to him. He's like, he, he didn't call you rock, did he? He called me rock, right? And then later on, it comes back to bite, right? When Jesus says, you're gonna deny me. And Peter says, you forgot who you're talking to. I'm, I'm the rock. All these other jokers might, but I'm gonna stand with you all the way to the end. Give me a sword and let me go to work, Right? That's Peter, famous last words, and then he falls, and, and then he becomes humble, and Jesus says, now I'm gonna call you afresh. Feed my sheep. <laughs> Restoring him to service, right? So, so, so sometimes calling gets off track when we're too big. Sometimes it gets off track when God is too small, when we think my limitations are gonna be an obstacle. You're not gonna be able to get around my limitations, right? Well, in that sense, we've made God smaller 
than our limitations. My limitations are actually bigger than God's ability to use me. That seems to be the thing that's going on with Jeremiah in verse five. God says, I appointed you a prophet. You see it? I appointed you a prophet to the nations, and here's Jeremiah, but I protested. Oh no, Lord God. And what's the spirit of his protest? I don't think the spirit of his protest is a defiant willfulness in Jeremiah. I don't think the spirit of his protest is even the kind of protest that we saw in Jonah when we studied uh, the life of the prophet Jonah. When Jonah said, wait, you're calling me to go to what people? Assyrians? Ninevites? There's no way you're giving mercy to Ninevites. So there's this kind of ethnic superiority that was driving Jonah away from God's call. Jeremiah, it doesn't seem to be that. It's, It's something else. It's almost as though the spirit of Jeremiah's protest is, how could someone like me speak for someone like you? Surely you found the wrong person, right? You ever hit a low point in your Christian life where um, you want to be used by the Lord and you're just so sorry because you can't. I'm so, I, I wish I had more to offer you. And I, I just don't. I'm in the way here. You ever feel like that as a Christian? We're convinced that our limitations are an obstacle to God. So we see the call and then second we see the cost The cost, you get over into the New Testament and you see Jesus Christ, the Lord himself, God incarnate. And he comes to his disciples and he goes and he grabs a towel and he grabs a bowl and he's walking over like he's gonna wash their feet and Peter, Peter says what? He says, Lords don't wash feet. Um, you need to get somebody else to do that. I'm not saying the feet don't need washing. I'm just saying Lords don't do that. And Jesus said what? This Lord does. <laughs> And he said, matter of fact, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part with me. And then Peter says, well, then wash away. (laughs) Wash, wash my feet, wash anything you wanna wanna wash because I wanna be in, all in with you. And Jesus washes their feet and he says, and by the way, this isn't gonna be the last foot washing because you're gonna start doing this. Servant is not greater than his master. You saw me wash feet, you're gonna wash feet. You know, in this room right now are represented hundreds of different specific divine calls and assignments from God, every one of them is gonna call us and give us opportunities to die to ourselves. There's not a legitimate, lasting, valuable, worthwhile assignment from God that doesn't involve death to self. We carry our cross in the service of others and in the name of Christ. It was Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great and courageous Christian who defied Nazism stood up against it with his Jewish kinsmen and was eventually martyred, hung with piano wire in 1945, right before the war was won. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer would famously say to his disciples, to those who heard him teach, he had a famous statement. He said, you know, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. That's the nature of the call. You come with me, you die to yourself. It's a cruciform life. It's shaped by the cross. The crown doesn't come first. The crown comes as we live a life following Christ with the cross. Our apprehension in the face of the cost is not itself sin. I think that's an important truth for us to take away. Our apprehension in the face of the cost is not itself 
sin. Again, I don't think Jeremiah is being defiant in this moment. It wasn't sin for Jesus to tremble in the Garden of Gethsemane and say, Father, is there another option? Is there another way this thing gets done besides me drinking the cup of the curse, the cup of condemnation? You're allowed to tremble when the call feels heavy. Look, I hope that is deeply freeing to some people here this morning, deeply liberating. You're allowed to tremble when the call feels heavy. There's Jesus heaving in the garden, and then here's Jeremiah centuries before that, and they call him the weeping prophet. That's what the rabbis of his time called him because his carriage, the very way in which he carried himself, it was like his shoulders were slumped over. He looked so tired for a man of 22 years old. You look tired. And he would have said, I am tired. It's kind of like Frodo Baggins on his way to Mordor. It's like this ring just keeps getting heavier and heavier and heavier. And that's Jeremiah. He's the weeping prophet. And he was faithful to the end, but it was hard all the way. It was hard all the way to the end. Look, this is why the gift of prayer and the gift of friendship are, come in so clutch in the life of the community of faith. You ever been in a season of your life where the call felt too heavy for you to bear and in comes a friend in Jesus Christ and they say, today I'm carrying you. Today you're going to battle your arms are going to be tired, and I'm going to be holding up this side, and your other friend's going to be holding up this side. We're going to carry you through this day. Look, we need that. It makes the calling sustainable. Without it, we'll never make it to the end. The prayer and intercession of the saints, the encouragement of the saints. Look, in the garden, we hear Jesus both counting the cost and trusting the Father. It's not just one or the other, it's, it's the counting the cost, it's the weight of the call, and it's trusting the Father. That's why we have both statements, not just one. We have, Father, is there any way for this cup to pass? And then there is this glorious, world-altering, nevertheless, right? Nevertheless, not what I will, but your will be done. My historical hero, I've got many, but John Newton is probably up there above them all, the author of, the Amazing, Gra- of Amazing Grace. And he talked about that since where Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. And here's what Newton said. What thou wilt, when thou wilt, how thou wilt. I would rather speak these three sentences from my heart in my mother tongue than be master of all the languages in Europe. What an ambition. Christian, when is the last time your heart said to God, Lord, um, I'm yours. You tell me where, you tell me when, you tell me how, and I'm, I'm ready. I'm not saying I'm all that because I'm not, but I want to follow you, and I'll go anywhere. You give me the power and you give me the strength, and I'll do anything you call me to. I'm yours. Use me for your glory. Another faithful servant of Jesus Christ talks about the uncertain future in light of the calling. Here's the Apostle Paul's words in Acts chapter 20. Now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Holy Spirit. There's the call, right? Not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. 
So besides all the suffering, I don't know what else happens in Jerusalem except lots and lots of suffering. Verse 24, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And what a beautiful life that statement created in the life of the Apostle Paul, right? On our most sane days as followers of Jesus, we realize at the end of my life, I'm not gonna look back and think, I wish I had spent more time on social media. We're not gonna look back from the end of our lives and say something like that. We're gonna look back from the end of our lives and we're gonna say something more like, I wish I had gone deeper in Christian friendships. I wish I had been there for people in the thick of it. I wish I had been patient with people in the midst of struggle. I wish I had invested more in the generation that's coming behind us. I wish I had opened my table to do hospitality for my neighbors and my coworkers to show them the welcome, some, something of the welcome of God that I've experienced and to show it in the bread that's at my table. I wish I had spoken up more about the hope that I have in Jesus Christ. I wish I was willing to have uncomfortable conversations with brothers and sisters who have different life experiences than mine. I wish, I wish, I wish. And if that's what we would wish to do at the end of our lives, then we're getting a sense of not just a to-do list, but what we were made for. That's the call. That's the life that's worth living sustained by the power of God and the power of his spirit. So we get the call, we get the cost, there's no way around it, and then we get the mission. If you're filling in blanks, go ahead and get this one while we're here. God still summons people to speak for him. He still summons people to speak for him. I think the most natural, seamless application from Jeremiah 1's time and context to our context is to reassert the centrality of the gospel mission for believers in Jesus Christ. For you and me, as followers of Jesus, to testify to the world that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is the one who died for our sins. He is the one who was raised for our justification, that his resurrection proved that everything he said was true, his resurrection proved that he was in fact God, that he is now reigning in sovereign glory, that he is worthy of global worship. The church has been testifying to that fact for 2,000 years, that there is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved except Jesus Christ. There is no other mediator, there is no redemption, there is no forgiveness outside of him and him alone. Only through him, is everything that's wrong in this world made right. He is making all things new. You want newness, you go with him. That's the testimony of the church for 2,000 years now. There's something so ennobling as we listen in on God's call to Jeremiah, right? Because God says, I called you before you were born. In other words, this is your identity. You can't get around this. You were born for this. I wrote it in your forehead, you were born to speak. Has God um, ever contradicted your self-talk? Because that's what's going on here in our passage. 
We may not have noticed it, but that's exactly what's happening. Verse six, I'm only a youth. Verse seven, don't say I'm only a youth. It's like no sooner has the word youth come out of his mouth before God says, hey, not asking. Not asking how old you are. I didn't pick you because of your age. I didn't pick you because of your teenagerness. That's not what this is about. You're missing the point. I haven't called you because you're strong. I haven't called you because you're so wise. I'm calling you because you're mine. That's why we're here. That's why we're having this conversation. You're mine. I'm going to use you. Your limitations are not going to get in the way. You're going to say what I tell you to say. You're going to say it where I tell you to say it. And I don't want you to be afraid because I'm going to be with you the whole way, all the way to the end. Sound familiar? It's exactly what we recite at the end of every worship gathering. We, we have a commissioning service for a new generation of Jeremiah's. And if you've been at Brook Hills for any length of time, you might be thinking, yeah, I love those commissioning services where we gather around and we send missionaries out to serve among the nations. And I would agree with you. I love that we have those commissioning services. I think we should have a whole lot more of them. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm talking about the commissioning service that happens every single Sunday when Jesus Christ asserts his authority in heaven and on earth and he says to you, suit up, I've tapped you, you're gonna speak for me. You're gonna do it here, some of you are gonna do it there. All of you are gonna do this. If you're in Christ, I've tapped you, you're gonna be a spokesperson in what ways do you um, self-disqualify? Maybe it's not, I'm only a youth. Maybe, maybe it's something else. Maybe it's God. I struggle in areas where um, seemingly good Christians don't often struggle. So you probably want to find somebody else. Or, or maybe it's, God, I would love to serve you. But, but here's how I wake up every day. I wake up, my feet hit the floor in the morning and I'm dragging a chain behind me and the chain is called shame. So I walk more slowly than others. I'm not sure I'm gonna be fast enough to get your gospel moving. And God doesn't take any of our rationale. <laughs> he, he stops Jeremiah one sentence in and he says, you're missing the point of what this is all about. He said the same thing to Moses. He said the same thing to Samuel. He said the same thing to David. He said the same thing to Isaiah. Isaiah says, I got two problems. One, I'm undone. Two, I got unclean lips. And it's as though God says, perfect. I cleanse and I make whole. So your undoneness is not a problem. Your unclean lips is not a problem. I got these tongs over here and I'm gonna do a cleansing work and then you're golden. So I'm gonna deal with both of those issues and I'm gonna use you for my glory. Look, it's as though sometimes when we throw up our disqualifications, it's as though God says, I want you to know I'm not confused. <laughs> I didn't grab the wrong folder. I know who I'm talking to, it's you. I'm going to use you. And all your limitations and weaknesses are not gonna be a problem, not for me. So Brook Hills, three things. Pray. I've been feeling convicted lately that um, while my prayers 
have been consistent. Um, they haven't been very daring. My prayers, I think, have just been too small, uh, predictable, you can finish the sentence, hedging your bets kind of prayers. I've lacked the boldness that Jesus said. Look at this woman over here. He tells a story about this woman who just keeps knocking on the door until she gets justice, and she's not leaving until the door opens, and Jesus turns and says, pray like her. Do that, that thing that she's doing. I want you to do that. I want you to be audacious in prayer. What triumphs of God's grace would we see in our lives and in the world if we gave ourselves more fully to bold and audacious praying? Pray, second, give. So there are some unbelievably generous people in our church who have a huge heart for the kingdom, huge heart for the ministry through the local church and the mission of the church in the world. I think one of the most formative areas, we don't talk about this nearly enough, one of the most formative areas for our spiritual formation is regular giving. Jesus addressed the problem of the love of money, how money sticks to us in some really unhealthy ways. And he and the New Testament apostles would frequently say, you give yourself free from the love of money. You don't concept your way out of it. You give yourself free of the love of money. Jesus said, I've wired it up this way. Your heart and your treasure are linked up. Where your treasure is, there's your heart. Where your heart is, there's your treasure. So you give to the things that God treasures, you give to the dream that God has and not to your own dream, and your heart's gonna start coming around and being stirred up more and more by the sense of that's the big thing that we get to be a part of as followers of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to know, as members of Brook Hills, and I hope this is no surprise, but we do a lot with what the Lord provides through the giving of this church. And we do it with, by God's grace, with integrity. We wanna be good stewards of the generosity of the church for great impact in the kingdom, in Birmingham, and to the ends of the earth. That's a commitment of ours. By God's grace, I pray that it's sustained. And, and I wanna challenge us as we move toward the middle of the year, and we're moving right here into the month of May, that the rest of this year, more of us as an entire church, not just a couple hundred giving units, but we are a church of thousands. Imagine what kind of kingdom impact we could have in our city and around the world if everybody who was a follower of Jesus dreamed God's dreams for the advance of his global gospel around the world and just said, I'm in and I'm ponying up. Every time God brings blessing into my life, I'm bringing it for the work of the kingdom through the local church. Man, that would be awesome. Third, go. Who else might answer the call to go and make the gospel known in places where Jesus' name is not yet worshiped? You know, here we are this morning. We have an embarrassment of riches. We shouldn't feel guilty about that. It's a grace that we sing this gospel, that we open this Bible, and yet there are billions of people in the world who don't have the Bible, who can't spell Jesus, and don't know any of the hymns of the faith that talk about the hope that we have in Christ. And so as believers and as a church, 
it's deep in our hearts to say, let's go get it to them. Let's get this message all the way out there. So we're passionate about sending. We're passionate about church planning. We're passionate about sustaining those who are sent out from here. And here's the thing. All of us go and make disciples, not just some of us. All of us, just depending on your location. But all of us get to go and make disciples. No matter where we end up, the divine summons is in force. You will go to everyone I send you, this text, and you will speak whatever I tell you. So who will hear the hope that we have in Christ this week from your lips? God doesn't just tell us what to do. He tells us what we were made for. So may we be found faithful. May he raise up a generation who stands in the line of the prophets, his spokespersons.